Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. You know, finding a service solution that keeps your customers happy can feel impossible. Like trying to remember the name of that guy you literally just met at that networking event. And HubSpot Service Hub can help. So with the service solution part, at least it makes it easy. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform. With an AI-powered help desk and a chatbot to handle your frontline tickets so you could scale support and drive retention and revenue. Visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn more. A big CEO of a huge media company that you know of told me this business will never make more than $2 million a year. And it wasn't until like six months ago where I was like, man, there's like a path to make literally $100 million a year in revenue. All right, we are here with Sam Parr, the founder of The Hustle, the big daddy of the uh, the publisher of the podcast. How does it feel to have a podcast on your uh, on your network now? Well, I'm excited, and I hope people will like it. We have to wait and see the numbers first. <laughs> That's what I'll be excited for most. I know, I know. All right. uh, so for those who don't know, The Hustle is a daily newsletter. It goes out to about a million and a half readers. Is that right? A million and a half? Yeah, we could say that. And we're growing every morning, so people like to start their day with it. It's The way I think about it is like you get an email, and... It tells you the news, uh, and I like the way you describe it, which is it's like you know, your no BS friend just explaining it to you. So it's a, it's a simple way to understand what's going on in the world without spending a whole lot of time doing the research yourself. It's like we did the research for you. Yeah, as if I'm me, Sam Parr, are going to tell you, Sean, the news each day. Right. And, uh, and because you spend five minutes on it in the morning, you save an hour of doing the, that you know, reading and research and finding out what's important yourself and what to make of it. And then, you know, you're at work, you're at the water cooler, and you sound smart. Yes. And we have <laughs> more stuff coming out, but that's our big thing now. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and something that launched today, I believe, right? A little beta launched yesterday. Okay. All right. So we, all right, we're going to get to that in a second, but let's start with the, the question we always start with. Sam Parr, how did you make your first million? By starting and selling multiple companies, which the biggest one being a news operation that emails millions of people a month and tells them the news they need to know each morning. All right. You said starting and selling multiple businesses. So different, uh, different way of looking at it is, when did you know you wanted to make a million bucks? Not for a very long time. My mom and dad are entrepreneurs. I thought that that's just what you do to make a living. I didn't really think about money a lot other than I knew that I wanted to start businesses because that was like my hobby. Like when you were a teenager, you mean? Yeah. But then when I got older, only like a year or two or three years ago, did I realize that money was something that's nice to have a lot of, but it's like not as nice as I thought. So for years, I was just doing this because it was fun and exciting. And it just so happened, the output, the result was income. Okay. Like a lot of people say that. They say, uh, you know, I'm not doing it for the money. The money is sort of a byproduct. And I like that. I think that is a great way of looking at it. But I also know you. You're my friend. Uh, you think about money a lot. You ask about money a lot. We talk I about talk it. About, I love talk talking about, about it. <laughs> but when I ran, I talk about it all the time. But I was a track and field athlete in college. I talked about that all the time, too. It was just whichever the career I have or the vocation that I have at the time, that's what I'm obsessed about. And so to me, money is, it's 
kind of like bench pressing 300 pounds. Once you get past a, a point which is lower than you think, it's not really that important to be able to bench 350 pounds, but it's just like you're obsessed with it. Right. Because you, as my buddy, can bench 400 pounds. So it's like, man, I want to I wanna beat you, I want to compete right. with you, and I want to compete with myself. Gotcha. And w- when did you like first start doing business? Was this... You know, are you a kid? Oh, I, first I had a lemonade started, stand type of thing. I was selling stuff on eBay, track mm. and field shoes, my old clothes. I would sell them on eBay, and then I would sell stuff on Craigslist. And you were doing it because you, yeah, you came up with it yourself. You saw somebody else selling on eBay. I came up with it myself, and I thought it was a really cool adventure. Mm. I just, it was just like a, I have an addictive personality, and this was my adrenaline rush. I started YouTube channels that got millions and millions of views, like the first year, two, three years that YouTube existed. And that made money, and I just loved scheming. What, what kind of channels? So it, this was in 2009. I don't know how old YouTube was around then. Yeah, I think YouTube started maybe 2004, 2005. But. So it was like the third or fourth year of YouTube uh, in existence. And I noticed that when you would type in a certain phrase on YouTube, it would autofill. And I would just look at all the words that would be autofilling. <laughs> and I'm almost embarrassed to say this, but I will. But if you typed in like street fights, it would be like street fights and it would auto fill fill with like black guy beats up white guy right. or street fights, white guy fights, black guy. And so I would was kind of scammy and I would create these videos with these clickbait titles and the thumbnail would be the only image that existed. <laughs> so it was a video with just <laughs> this because YouTube didn't have that filter to like catch that. So and the video was nothing. Yeah, it was nothing. But if you, I can go and find it somehow, and it probably has 10 million views. And then I would charge bands money, $10, $50 a month, to have their music as the background. <laughs> and so, so you didn't even have a fight. Because I used to search for these. I used to watch Kimbo Slice. Yeah, the same, uh, like, the same stuff. Like Street Fight. Like big black guy knocks out little white guy. Right. I have a video that's titled that that has five million views. And don't you remember on YouTube years and years ago when um, you would click these certain videos and you'd hear these horrible electronic like music? Yes. So those people paid me money to put my <laughs> ads or put their v- v- music on the background. <laughs> so how, how old are you when this is going on? I was a senior and freshman in college. That's so true. like it was like sometime around two thousand eight. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So you uh, you started the kind of keyword yeah. keyword arbitrage because since then I actually learned this from you. I went to one of your workshops that you and Neville did. Uh, and if, for those who don't know, Neville is a good buddy of yours. Neville's the best man at my wedding. He's one of my best friends. Yeah. And he uh, he's kind of famous for this copywriting course, right? So talk a little bit about that because I think this is something that's extremely underrated. I added it to my arsenal. Copywriting is the most it. important skill set anyone can have because copywriting is not writing copywriting is understanding how other people think and feel and how to use words to get them to do what you want them to do specifically the written word but it can translate to anything right copywriting is sales copywriting is persuasion copywriting is it's meeting a girlfriend it's talking to a friend and trying to let them know you care about them it's it's trying to sell something it's it's just the idea of understanding other people's perspective and then trying to figure out if you could solve that or empathize with that and communicating that you have the tool to fix their problem. Mm. Okay, so per- perfect example. The first business that I knew that you did, I didn't know about the, the YouTube street fights, I didn't know about the uh, eBay stuff, but I did know about the hot dog stand. And, yeah, Southern uh, the name, Sam's. The name of the hot dog stand. It's not just Southern Sam's. <laughs> <laughs> what's, the, what's the slogan? It's Southern Sam's wieners as big as a baby's arm. So <laughs> <laughs> a hot dog is a commodity. Like They pretty much are all the same. 
I mean, little variants, but I bought them Vienna sausages, which a lot of people buy. And it was like, how do you just stick out? How do you stand out? And I thought that would be a funny slogan. And the idea was if a parent put their baby's arms in one of my buns and we put mustard on it and we take a photo, they get a free thing, a free <laughs> sausage. And that was like the shtick. And was this like pre-social media? <laughs> this was in 2010 to 2012. So okay. it was around. But I, if Instagram was around, it was barely around. Okay. So we got, we got uh, Southern Sam's Wieners as big as your baby's arm. Yeah. The best name. I started a restaurant too, but it was it had nowhere near uh, the, sort of the fame or appeal <laughs> as that. So, so I love that. How did it do? So I just tweeted about this today, actually, because someone would ask me if I had to make money today with $1,000. I started it with $500. I was only able to afford the first day's ingredients. And the first day, it did okay, but it took me about a week to get a $1,000 day with like 50% margins. Most days, I would make between... 100 and 500 days if i would go and work all night or go to a concert i could make 1000 to 5000 dollars a night it was really hard work in nashville in the summer it's 110 degrees some days mm. it was horrible it was really hard but it was really fun but it paid like i got paid and and you were the one manning the stand for a long time and in the beginning i was there all the time but then i hired friends my friend carly my friend rydell i would give them an hourly like a minimum wage you know, I was thinking on my way over here, I was like, what should I say in the intro? And I was thinking, I was like, oh, well, what do I really believe? Because uh, when I started doing this podcast, the beginning, I would do like a radio host intro, which is not me. It's me playing like a radio host. Like, hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. Yeah, doing great, what you think you should fantastic. do. Yeah, okay. And now I'm like, well, what do I? What would I actually say about you? Like, if I was just explaining this to myself, what would I say? And I was like, the thing about you is if this was Lord of the Flies... I haven't even read the book, but I understand the premise. We all get dropped on an island and sort of we're all starting from scratch, just just us and our bare, our bare hands. If you took everybody I know in San Francisco, a lot of great entrepreneurs, investors, successful people, but if you put us all on an island and it was like, here's a race to $10,000, I think you'd win. Oh, thanks. I, I, think, you'd, <laughs> I think you'd win the the $1,000 Lord of the Flies Silicon Valley uh, edition. And, and so the, and the hot dog stand is like the perfect example uh, of, of this, which is just like, very straightforward fundamental thinking i have this much money i can i want you know i want to get my money back quick what do people want what do people need where should i stand oh i should go to the concert that's where people you know are drinking and and want a bite to eat and just doing the basics and not trying to be sort of the genius inventor is that a good characterization because that's my mental model of you is that is that how you see it too 100 percent. so i'm from missouri i'm from st louis missouri a lot of people think i grew up as a hick I kind of did, but I grew up in a city. Mm-hmm. My parents started a fruit stand that eventually became a produce brokerage. My father's uh, not educated. I was not that good of a student. I was just like a, a redneck like kid, right? <laughs> and so I just did whatever, and I just I, I will do whatever. It just so happened that I learned how to use the internet. So I would say I'm I'm, I'm basically like a Midwestern small business owner that just learned how to use the internet. Right. The internet is your corner <laughs> instead of your neighborhood corner. Right. Versus like this idea, like the Mark Zuckerbergs. I will never. I don't understand how they think. Uh, I'm much simpler. Right. And so when you're uh, you're doing the hot dog stand, hilarious name, good results. <laughs> you know, paid paid the bills for for a period of time. At some point, you jumped onto the internet. Uh, yeah. Because the hot dog stand was, was more like the kid in Missouri, and the stuff you do today is a lot more like the kid in San Francisco. Yeah, and so what I was doing in the evenings after selling stuff, so I worked for this guy named Mike Wolf. Have I told you this? No. Have you seen this TV show, American Pickers? 
Yeah. Mike Wolf was my boss. So when I was in college, he was I loved that TV show, American Pickers. I saw him walking down the street. I thought he was cool. I was a huge fan and I walked up to get my photo taken with him <laughs> and I just became friends with him and he asked me to run his store in Nashville or to work there and help set his shop up. And so I did. Okay, hold on, pause. I went up to him to ask to take a photo with him and I became friends with him. This is a Sam Parr <laughs> thing that you do. And I want the people listening to know how the hell you do it, because that's how we became friends. You literally emailed me being like, hey, Sean, heard great things about you. You had never heard anything about me. I heard I great had. things about you. Uh, probably not. We had never met. The point is, you just reached out cold, and you were like, hey, I got this big dinner I need to host for like 80 people <laughs> uh, like next week. Can I borrow your office for, for free? Uh, it's going to have all these awesome speakers. You're going to love it. You can attend the dinner. And I was like, yeah, sure. And uh, we became really good friends yeah. since then. And so you have this this gift of, of befriending people kind of out of the blue. So tell me what actually happened when you met him on the street. I call it the gift of gab. Okay. That's what my parents called it growing up. Let's see. He, I, w- I had my dog, Sid, with me. Mike's a big dog guy. I walked up to him, asked for a photo. He started talking about my dog. I go, oh, yeah, thank you. Like, yada, yada, dog stuff. And I'm like, by the way, what are you doing here? Oh, I'm opening up this shop. Amazing. Who's going to run it? I'm still looking. Mike, I'm your guy. I know we just met, but I'm your guy. <laughs> like, let me do this. And I probably said it in that, that exact tone. Right. And he was like, yeah, like, I don't know, maybe. And I just started heckling him and just, like, joking with him a little bit. And he's like, yeah, okay, well, here's my wife's number. Call her. Right. <laughs> and so I called her and then I found out that the place that I met him at, it was a jeans store and I like jeans a lot. And he was, we were going, we used to go to the same store. The next day I was, I went into the jeans store and I, there was a guy who worked there named Matt and I go, Matt, Mike Wolf was here the other day. When's he coming back? And he goes, well, he's got some clothes that he's got to pick up tomorrow. So I go, okay, here's um, $50. <laughs> Text me when you think he's going to come in tomorrow. I'm going to show up. And so he did that. <laughs> and I just waited on the couch for him and I go, Mike, what's up, man? Look, here's the deal. Let me run this thing. Or let me let me help you set it up. He goes, all right, fine, you're it. And right. that's how it happened. Right. At that point, he's like, okay, it's going to take more effort to get rid of this kid yeah. than to just give him what he wants. Yeah, so that's kind of how that happened. But anyway, uh, while working there, I like met all these amazing people because Mike's a celebrity, and he would get all these cool people coming in. And Kid Rock's manager or something like that came in, and I started just, just messing around and talking to him. He said that there's this new law that allows small-time distillers in – Tennessee to create whiskey in the same way that in the 90s craft beer was allowed to be created Mm. and I was like oh that's kind of interesting and because I worked at Mike Wolf's store I knew that like Americana and vintage stuff was really popular and moonshine is Americana vintage all this kind of like it was a trend shout out to yes we had this new product coming out called trends (laughs) but it was like moonshine was like popular and there's all these like moonshiners shows and it was basically moonshine means illegal whiskey this whiskey that the Kid Rock's guy told me about it. it was called Popcorn Suttons. It was it's legal. They could sell it in stores, but they they only would make it in small batches. Mm-hmm. And so what I did was I created an online store called Moonshine Online, and I would try to get customers from all over like places that weren't the South that weren't used to this this novelty whiskey, and I started selling it online. Wow. And how was it doing? I mean, I, I, I it almost, was awesome. Do I even need to ask? You sold what we sold alcohol online. Probably did pretty well. Yeah, I mean, it, I would be in like finance class, and my this was pay, I had PayPal on. I don't even know if I had an iPhone, but it go ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. <laughs> and I said, to my finance teacher, I'm like, I just made a thousand dollars while I was sitting here in class. Like, what do I do? Right. And so it was good. It was making. <laughs> what did they say? They're like, well, he was like, you need to talk to a lawyer because I don't know if what you're doing is legal. <laughs> so I talked to a lawyer and they're like, yeah, you're kind of breaking some laws here. So so the Moonshine Online didn't last long. <laughs> OK, so the, so the BlackBerry with PayPal installed had to had to go, go quiet for a bit. Yeah. And so he was like, uh, yeah, like you got to like jump through all these hoops. And I was like, OK, well, I don't know if I want to do that. But 
I Googled, like, where in the country do internet companies live? And online, it said San Francisco. So I emailed the founders of Airbnb. I asked for a job. They said, can you come to our office next week? I was like, yeah, I'm here already. And so I bought a ticket and flew out here. <laughs> I interviewed there. and But while I was here, I met a really cool guy named John Havel. And he had started a business because I, I stayed on his Airbnb. That's how I met him. Gotcha. And I was like... I was like, this is so cool. There's people my age doing cool stuff. I'm coming out here. Right. And so I moved, I went back home a few days later, sold the limited possessions that I had, left school, and I moved out here. And we started Bunk, a roommate matching app that was sold after 10 months for a tiny amount of money. And then I started the, my current company. And how important was it to get out here? Like, what happens if you don't move? Because there's a lot of people it, right now. That- nothing would have happened. Nothing Nothing would have happened differently or nothing would have happened at all? I would not be where I am. Hmm. What would you be doing? Um, working at hot dog stands or <laughs> started a lawn company. And or Was it obvious to you and others at the time, like when you were saying, hey, I'm going to go out to San Francisco, it seems like that's where the internet It was not. Like. I told my mom about Airbnb. And at the time, 300 people or 200 people worked there. So it wasn't like small, but it wasn't well known. And she was like is this a scam? Right. What is this Airbnb thing? You stay at other people's homes. I was like, yeah, there's other company called Uber Cab. And it's kind of like that, but like with cars. And she's like, what are you talking about? Do they offer health insurance? That's all I care about. <laughs> and I was like, I'm, I'm doing this, guys. I'm, 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 I'm doing this. And they, they gave me, I sold my car. I, that gave me $5,000. And then they gave me $1,000 to, as like my, I hadn't graduated college yet, but as like my graduation gift. And they go, all right, come, we'll help you do it. And I, I gave me a grand, and I moved out here. And so they supported me, but they, they they didn't know what I was getting into. You don't even know this. Our stories are are so they're very different, but they're like parallel parallel tracks. Everything you're saying, I literally had a moment like that in my life, which it's it's for another day because I want to. Uh, this is your story, but having supportive we're gonna parents is <laughs> like a really unfair advantage. Absolutely. Also, having a level of like. You got to have a little fuck it in your system. And you had enough fuck it to, to say, all right, I'm just going to go out there. I don't know. I don't have the whole thing figured out. I'm going to go and I'm going to figure it out. I know enough that that's where I need to be. Tony Robbins has this really good phrase I like, which he says, proximity is power, which is just like, if you know nothing else, just get close that's cool. to the stuff you like. Get close to the people you like. Just hang with them more. The proximity has its own power. Go to the place you want. Just be near it. Proximity is power. And I've seen that play out many times for myself. Your story reminds me of that. Well, the thing is, is that you and I both have a lot of buddies that are really wealthy. Their children probably aren't going to be willing to take a lot of risks because when you grow up wealthy, you kind of know what there's to lose and all this stuff. But the way I grew up, like I was a little bit of a wild man and like sometimes I would get kicked out of my house and I would literally sleep outside. Yeah. So it's like the worst case scenario is like I just sleep outside. It's like this, this, this is no big deal. Or the worst case scenario is I go and like sell bottled water on the corner. Like I can make it work. Like the downside is is really really low. Yeah. Or the worst case is I call my mom and be like, Hey, I don't ever want you to support me, but like, can you give me like three hundred dollars so I can get right. I can just come and stay in my room? <laughs> yeah. There's a get out of jail free card. Did you ever? You know, I remember when I was uh, doing my very first startup. I was living in Colorado. Kind of a similar situation. I won't do the whole backstory, but I got into a spot where. We had won thirty grand of just prize money because I would just go pitch in these business plan competitions, and That's I was amazing. good at pitching, and so I would just win the business plan competition. So we rolled up thirty grand in like a month of prize money, and then my dad was also like, "Okay, if you're going to do this, not going to go to med school." I took the MCAT. He said, "If you're not going to go, let's take you know some of that tuition 
And he gave me uh, like, I don't remember, was it was 20 grand or something like that. He's like, that's going to wow. last you the year. So I got 30 grand from this, 20 grand from this, and there's me and two, two co-founders. That's like such a good dad. Oh, yeah. It was huge. And he was, he was not even trying to be helpful. He was like, you've been so lazy your whole life that like, I finally see you switched on. I think this is a terrible idea. You're doing a sushi restaurant. Like, that's a terrible idea. But it's your tuition. But yeah, but you're, you're actually waking up and doing something every day without anyone telling you to do it. And, and he, you know, he, he gave me this line that's uh, in life, it's a lot more about motion than it is direction. So, uh, you know, imagine you're on a beach and you want to get to this island. The island is where all the fantasies come true. And if you could see the island, you would say, that's the direction I need to go. Problem is, from where you're standing, you can't see where the island is. You just think this island exists. So you just got to move. So you got to go, got to get in the boat and start paddling. And then as you go, you'll realize, hey, actually, I see it. It's over there. And you, it's, he's like, it's much easier to move a boat when you actually have some momentum. You can just put your paddle in the water and you'll actually turn and you'll start going in the new direction. And that's literally what happened in my life. So, so I give him credit for that. But I remember... We were living pretty frugally. Frugal. You were frugal. We were frugal. And, and you're Mr. Frugal. Uh, I am. And so I want to get into that. I remember one time the way we were living, it was like kind of embarrassing. It was three of us in a one-bedroom apartment uh, in Colorado, and every, everything we would need, we would buy and return. So it's like, hey, we need a camera for this photo shoot to Been take there. our menu pictures. Costco's I can, t- the best I can still that. tell you, yeah, it's like Best Buy 14 day policy, but you don't need this. And you know, so we would go buy this DSLR camera and return it 14 yeah. days later. 10 times. And uh, I remember we would sleep on air mattresses and we knew that Target had a 90 day return policy on air mattresses. So I remember going and returning my air mattress. So embarrassing of like, damn, I, I'm this poor that I'm just like. But your par- were your parents poor or they're frugal? We were like middle class. Just uh, normal. It was just that I couldn't go to them for, at, with an ask. Because when you go with an ask, you got to have a little – it's like going to a bank. It's like you got to have a down payment of some kind of success or momentum. No, I feel you. At this point, I didn't feel like I had my down payment of I know what I'm doing. Look, it's, it's working. Just give me a little money. This was like, hey, I'm taking a leap of faith. You already gave me a little money. I need to stretch that dollar because I don't know if I, there is another dollar after this. Did you have any sort of – when you were living frugal, did you have any moments like that that were the sort of <laughs> – No. I grew up kind of poor. Then my parents started a thing that like made a, a, a pretty good living for them. And they paid my um, high school tuition. And they I got a car that was $5,000, an F-150 truck. But it's not like I was like pulled up from my bootstraps like from nothing. Right. But I've never... The, the $1,000 gift that I got from graduating college was the most money that they've ever... That I've ever... Act, like I've, I've, Yeah. And that to me was like $1,000... Yeah, no, it was so and then they gave me like a like a credit card that had like a $500 limit on it. Like they're like here's this for emergencies and I remember I cut it up right when I got here. I was like I'm I'm doing this. I was like I'm going on the sh- <laughs> I'm, I was like I'm going to I'm literally going to be homeless before I ever ask for help. And so you lived pretty like a Spartan lifestyle for a while uh when you were starting up the hustle. Tell, I loved it. Tell us about that cuz I think people got to know what Sometimes what it takes, uh, yeah. sometimes, you don't have to sacrifice, but there are sometimes situations where before it builds up and gets big, you know, you got to you gotta live that Spartan lifestyle. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I do well now, but and people are like, yo, you know, it's only been, our company just turned three years old the other day. It's only been three years and you're doing good. And I was like, well, I've been grinding since, like, taking risks since, like, 16, 17, 18. And up until a few years ago, like, I, I didn't have any money. And so for the longest time in San Francisco, I had a $600 rent maybe. And I did that because I was able to scrape together some money after selling something. And I rented a four-bedroom house. I furnished the whole place with used or free furniture on Craigslist. And then I rented it out to people. 
like the other three bedrooms and that ultimately paid for my rent, which means that on just living expenses, I was able to only spend about a grand a month. Hmm. And so because of that, the first couple of years, my W-2 income was only about $15,000. And so that was the first couple of years of the hustle. Yeah. And then let's give people a sense of the numbers uh, today. You don't have to say the, the specifics, but you know, wh- what should we be thinking about when we think, you know, how, how's the hustle doing? Yeah. How are so you doing? our business is very profitable. It makes eight figures in revenue, really fat margins. My goal is to get it to a hundred million in revenue by 2025. And I think we'll get there. So it, it potentially may not be Uber, but it'll be a nice size business. It'll, it'll be a hundred million dollar business. Companies like ours could probably sell for any in the huge number, the huge range of 20 to $60 million. And we haven't taken any venture capital. Right. So you, you raised money, but you raised it sort of from from the Rolodex in a way. Yeah, but they weren't in the Rolodex at the time. Tim Ferriss was like lived on the block for me, and I became friends with them that way. So he ended up investing. The founders of Bleachery Report, the founders of Nerd Wallet, and loads of other people just like that, like 36 people. Scott Belsky, one of the early Uber guys, loads of people like that all collectively put in some sum between twenty dollars and $100,000 for Meet Sethi. Um, and collectively, we raised about a million dollars. And then you also raised from the community. Yeah. So what we did, we the hustle started as a conference, hmm. a conference with a newsletter. And I realized the newsletter could be a way bigger business. But then I realized the newsletter could actually lead to an even bigger business. But in the meantime, let's use this newsletter to make profits. And once we hit 200,000 users, we said, we always got emails of people wanting to invest. And we go, let's just let anyone invest. And so I thought that we would get $150,000 in 90 days. We ended up getting close to $350,000 in 48 hours. Wow. All right, ladies and gents, if you want to make that first million, you have got to be organized. Our sponsor, Monday.com, is back to get you there with a weekly dose of the Monday.com motivation. You know, keeping a clean desk, making to-do lists, and using a calendar, those aren't just things that adults do. They're things that wildly successful teams do to hit their goals. In other words, being organized makes achieving your dream of swimming in that money vault that much closer. Visit Monday.com backslash pod backslash million. That's right, two backslashes. Monday.com backslash pod backslash million to get 10% off of monday.com and you can use their customizable templates that will help you get organized it'll increase your workflow it'll manage your workload and get you one step closer to hit your goals and so we raised a little bit of money from our users as well um looking back logistically speaking i didn't need any of that money right we've always been profitable it's huge cash flows but tim ferris gave me money now he's my friend and I could text him and ask for advice. And that's kind of like a cool trade-off. Right. <laughs> and and with the community money, was that worth it? Because most people don't do that because there's Looking back, no. Issues. It was not worth it. Why, why do you say that? I have grown to be much more private than I was in the past. And I hate having people that know my business. Gotcha. And uh, just a second on the origin of the Hustle and the Hustle Con, uh, the, the conference really, because it started as a conference before it was a newsletter. Yeah. And it started before you. Somebody yeah, else started so, um, I randomly met Eric Bond and Elizabeth Yen. And these folks are successful entrepreneurs. Eric had a business called Beat the GMAT that he sold for, I don't know how much, but if I had to guess, eight figures. Elizabeth Yen had a, another business called LaunchBit that had a nice exit. And so I met a guy who introduced me to them and we just became friends. And I had like a really small exit in 2012 or 13. And I emailed Eric. I go, what, what do I do now? And he said, 
I got this thing I put on. I put on this thing called HustleCon. It was kind of like a conference, but in reality, it was like a meetup, and like 100 people came. It made like $4,000 or I forget, some number like that. It's just basically a website and an email list of two or 300 people. Do you want it? Just do something with it and give me like 10% of the profit. Mm-hmm. I said, in. So I launched... I relaunched HustleCon on June 1st of 2014, hosted that conference six weeks later, and it made like 60 Gs. And the whole idea behind it was I'm not trying to make money. I'm just trying to meet interesting people. And so I would cold email all of these speakers, and I would say like, hey, do you want to speak? These other 15 speakers are coming. And, of course, so they hadn't. <laughs> right. They, had, they, they weren't <laughs> coming. And they would say yes, and then I would go to the other 15 and be like, hey, uh, you know, I would do the same right. shtick with them. And they all started coming, and then I became friends with them. And they would teach me stuff, and I would learn stuff just hanging out with them. I'd be like, hey, I need to come by your office so we could talk about the talk. Right. But, but I talked about the talk for 10 minutes, and the next 50 minutes, I just would ask them questions. And so I hosted this event, and the way in which I made it popular was by doing email marketing. And I knew that email marketing was effective because of just like studying it and teaching myself how to be a copywriter. And so that first event in six weeks made about 60 Gs, and I only spent eight grand or some low number like that on the event. So I was like, oh, that's cool. So I took that money, and actually, for six months, I drove my motorcycle around the country and camped and hung out. And then during that trip, I was like, let's do this again. The next time, it this time was 80 days. That's when I met – I think, yeah, that's when I met you. Mm-hmm. That event did about a quarter of a million in revenue on thirty or 20000 in expenses. And then it was like, okay – this is cool, but I don't want to run a conference forever. I had just read the biography of Ted Turner, the guy who started CNN. And I was like, that guy is Southern. I'm kind of Southern. He like is kind of wild like I am. I could do that. I'm already doing that, kind of. Like I could start a media company. And so that's when we said, let's do a media company. And then the first six months of The Hustle, which started in 2015, it was just a blog. Yeah, but I then- remember that. It was uh, you, you were just telling really great stories but it was like long form it long form like- blog stuff and i would just blog about like funny stuff or interesting stuff like taking lsd or living on soylent for 30 days right. just stuff like that and it got loads of traffic but it, it, it was clear that would not be a huge that wouldn't be a huge business so we relaunched on april 19th of 2016 so that's why i say we're about three years old mm-hmm. and that's when we decided let's go all in on email let's build this whole thing on email and then it became very clear that if you study the history of groupon of um, Daily Candy, of Thrillist. People may not even know what the last two are. But anyway, I was like, man, some of these like billion-dollar companies all started with an email list. Like, Let's do that. Let's build up this huge email list and then start creating more products and use that as a distribution channel. And I think we could build a billion-dollar company that way. And that was the idea. And I remember pretty early on, there was a temptation from, uh, not even really, you didn't seem tempted, but other people were tempted to say, Jump on Facebook, jump on video, jump on yeah. this trend, Snapchat. You know. I knew from day one that would be a horrible idea. It's like my, I've always wanted to be independent, and I felt that building an audience on the back of Facebook was like building a business in a rented apartment where the landlord raises the price every quarter. <laughs> like That's a horrible idea. And right. so I called my email list my pirate ship, and every subscriber was a little bit of wind in our sails. Right. Because, like I said, I'm, a, I'm kind of a simpleton. I'm a simple guy. And if you look at like the economics of like building something on Facebook or someone else's platform, you're like, so where's the profit come from? Well, if you do this, like, I don't understand that. That that right. that's that doesn't really make <laughs> it's sense. Too fancy to, for me. Yeah, it's like that does not make sense to me, and uh, I don't want to do that. And so we didn't. <laughs> and I think that's paid off uh, because now you have. I mean, this got to be one of the biggest daily emails in the world. Yeah, I think so. I think we got to be up there. I only know of maybe two or three people that can compete. And who, who's that? Who can compete? There's the skim. Yeah. I mean, they claim to have six or seven or eight million. They're pretty big. 
and then there's a, a, a maybe a handful of one-off things that aren't confirmed that I, but I would guess and when you were doing this and it started to make money that was also pretty counterintuitive I mean I, unless you really knew the email game which I didn't which, by the way I do nothing like <laughs> up until re, like I did, I didn't know anything I didn't know what like basic words were like an RFP or I mean I knew nothing right <laughs> I, I, I knew I didn't know what CPM meant I, di- I didn't know I didn't know how like to I was doing our accounting I didn't know the difference between cash flow and revenue like I, I didn't know anything and do you know things now or you just hired people who know things I know a lot of things yeah yeah <laughs> I, I do I know how to read a balance sheet and do a P&L statement I know how to make money um, I don't know how the how I don't know how to code. I cannot code at all. And we have a tech team, a nice-sized tech team, and we built all our own custom technology. I just, I'm really good at being like, what's the simplest solution? Like, what need should exist? And then I'm like, hey, guys, can you, like, it, w- it would be cool if this existed. Can you, do you know how to make that happen? And they would just say, yeah. I'm like, all right, great. Show me in a week and let's see. Right. And what was the, the first milestone where you were like, holy shit, this thing's uh, actually, not just it's working, but this thing's actually going to be really big. Well, the first week of our existence, we got a million people coming to the website. Hmm. And I was like, that's awesome. That is great. And we got on the front page of Reddit, and we had like two or 3,000 concurrent users on real-time analytics, Google Analytics. And I was like, sick. That's awesome. How good is it to watch the real-time? It's addicting. It's addicting. <laughs> it's hugely addicting. And then I was like, this, is not gonna, this cannot be big. I thought that, and someone once told me, a big CEO of a huge media company that you know of, told me this business will never make more than $2 million a year. We could do that in a month now. <laughs> and what, what was that person wrong about? What didn't they get? They were a New York media person who was kind of fancy. And they didn't, they're like, email is such a small thing. Like an email newsletter, a newsletter, like you don't even have a website. Like th- there's no way advertisers are going to want that. And I'm like, well, but if you think about it, if you just look at how much they're going to pay per click on all these other platforms, who cares if it's on your email or on a website or like does it matter as long as they get like traffic to their stuff like who cares and it's like well it doesn't work like that I was like okay well and so I kind of believed them I didn't think that it would work and then once we started growing I was like oh this is crazy and then it wasn't until like six months ago where I was like man there's like a path to make like literally a hundred million dollars a year in, in revenue on this. I kind of knew a little bit that it could be big. Daily Candy, the company that I modeled us mm-hmm. after early on, they claimed to have $25 million in revenue and $10 million in net income a year. So I was like, well, if we just do that, that might happen. And they're still around? They're doing They well. sold for $125 million to Comcast, and then Comcast screwed it up and shut them down. Gotcha. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> and so uh, let's play a little game called Remake My First Million. If you had to remake a million bucks, so you take away your business as it is today, you can't do that again. This exact business, you can't do it again. You're 21 years old, though, so I give you back that youthful energy and time. Um, What would you work on? What would you try to do? Let's say you don't have capital, you don't have network, you don't have a lot of those pieces. You're you, you, but you're 21. What would you do again? Or what would you do differently this time? If I was 21, 22, I would try to get a quick win and try to get like a couple hundred thousand or maybe a million dollars in my bank by like starting a business that made a hundred grand a month and try to, would try to sell it and own all of it. And I think that that is significantly more possible than most people think. So, so I'm, I'm 21. I'm listening to this. I say, all right, that sounds pretty good. Be more specific. What do you mean? What, what sorts well, of ideas do you Well, if they're 21 that? today, start blogging. And when I say start blogging, I would say learn one new interesting thing each week and then just blog about what you learned do that every single day every week for a year try to get two to three thousand people a day coming 
to your site through search. The way you find out what to write about is you go to harefs.com and you buy a subscription and that will teach you what to write because it will tell you what people are searching for. Try to rank for those words, build up an email list of 5,000 people and then create a course and sell it to them. Hmm. I like it. And I like the uh, looking up the keywords. It's like having the answers to the test. It's like, here's what people want to know. Yeah, just answer it. Just answer it. And answer it by learning on your own and then just teaching people what you learn. There's two ways to, to teach or to create content. One is to be the expert. And the other way is to be the curious novice. And so The second people, one 100% works. Right. A lot of people count themselves out because they just assume I'm not the expert. But in reality, the you only need to be one step above. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you just got to be one step in front of your audience, and that one step could be you just read a you just read a book over the weekend. Right. <laughs> so if I was a 21 year old kid, what I would do is go on Yelp, find, pick a very specific niche like irrigation services, scaffolding rental, lawn cutting service. Pick some niche in a town like Nashville, Denver, something like that, and try to start a business that beats all the other people on Yelp. I'm quite obsessed with the idea of consolidating local businesses so and so you boring stuff right well it's not boring it's like people don't like to hear the obvious and it's it's almost the obvious or it's the basics dude Um, because people are super fancy man like me and ramon him and i have started or funded like five or six companies that collectively make 10 million dollars or something like that and it's like the most simple shit on earth (laughs) and if i told you that this company makes this much money you'd be like what that is so stupid ramon owns this one that i participate on a little bit as well that sells dog ramps what's a dog ramp a dog ramp is when you have a dash hound or what kind of dog do you have? Like a Chihuahua? I have a Multipoo. He said it was for wiener dogs. Yeah, da- is that a, that's a dash hound. Oh, okay, um, that's the fancy word for sausage it. <laughs> dog. Yeah, wiener dog. Uh, when you have these small dogs and they want to get on your bed, they can't get up. So it's just like a oh, this is a piece of wood and it flips up. So like a ramp, like a like a miniature handicap ramp, and your right. dog can get up there. And that makes sometimes tens of thousands of dollars a day. And why are people scared of these businesses? Or do they just assume it can't be? You know, can't he, be he, that big? Or he, here's why. I think about this all the time because I struggle with my team. They don't understand leverage. So they think that in order to make, let's say, a million dollars, you have to work an equivalent amount of hours that in their head they think is a million dollars. Or you have to have an idea that is the equivalent of a million dollar idea. Right. When in reality, you could just have really good execution, which is not tied to the amount of time in which you spend on something. You could have pretty good execution, like 100% effort for a short amount of time. And that, if you leverage it correctly, it creates significant amounts of value. And so they overthink stuff. Mm -hmm. Also, I think they feel guilty. It's like... Guilty how? Like, the way I compare it is like when your mom makes a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, it always tastes better than when you do it because you see how how simple it is. And you're like, oh, this like isn't that... (laughs) Like, yeah, this is like... It's got to be way better. Like, the other people must do it way different because this isn't that... Like, this can't be that easy, can it? (laughs) And uh, that's kind of like the idea. And... People like overthink stuff. I also think that we hang out with a lot of high IQ people, and I think the smarter you are, the more disadvantaged you are at some <laughs> at of these money. <laughs> at some of these like simple things. And it's also fear. Right. People are afraid. These PB and J businesses are, are can be great businesses if you apply leverage, and that's the that's sort of the difference. Where your same hot dog stand idea could have been a big business if you had just applied more leverage, more stands, more locations, yeah. franchised it out. And the way you create it. leverage is like you just have to like set things up in a, in a very particular way. So like you just hire key people or you use the internet and you realize, well, I can do the same thing, but I just ch- put two zeros on the back of my ad spend. It's like, wow, I just, I'm not doing any extra effort, but I'm getting like 10 times the amount of money. Right. And that 
I think you had a business that you bought a, a SaaS company or for those. Yeah, so Ramon and I company. also own a SaaS company. It's like a thirty thousand dollar a month SaaS business. And all you did was raise the prices. Is that correct? Yeah, all we did so far was just went in and changed a three to like a six, <laughs> and that was it. That's all we did. You're like, I can't code, but even I know how to do this. Yeah, most people don't price their stuff effectively. We bought a company. Literally, all that was done was double the price, and <laughs> revenue doubled. <laughs> Same amount of people sign up every day is super simple. I love it. This is why I call you the, the Lord of the Flies, man. You, you would find the way to make the money. And if I, what I would like to do is buy more software companies and 10x the price. I think that that's possible as well. So you have all these experiments in your head, but one experiment you guys just launched is trends. And I want to hear about it because I like trends, but I don't fully get trends. Yeah, a lot and of people. So tell me about it. A lot of people who haven't experienced it, I don't think are going to get it yeah. yet. And and that's because we are. What is it? Yeah. So basically, the idea is it's a premium publication, a paid publication, a a paid weekly email. And we have hired a team of analysts as well as myself. And we crawl the web and look at millions of bits data. And we also talk to people like you and other experts. And we just explore various industries and we do deconstructing of various businesses. And we just show like where are cool opportunities and where's the white space and loads of different industries. So it's. If I'm somebody who is looking for my next opportunity or my next yeah, idea. Yeah, the way that we explain it is like, look, if you start a company, you can make it win or at least do be mildly successful with enough effort. Like you could pro- if you like are willing to spend 20 years on something, you could probably get a little bit of success out of it. But if you start something on a small ripple that can eventually become a wave or a tsunami, like it's just going to the products will get pulled out of you. Like right. it's just going to push you down this hill and it's gonna, life will be a lot better. So it's just like, let's explore some of these waves while they're still kind of small and what they're doing. Gotcha. So you guys are trend spotting early, these business opportunities. As well as looking at interesting companies and saying like, well, here's how they work. What if you applied that to this thing? So like we interviewed the guy who started 1-800-GOT-JUNK, Brian, and he said, yeah, 1-800-GOT-JUNK, here's how it works. Here's the economics. And we're like, oh, that's amazing. We're like, where else can this work? And he goes, local irrigation services. And we go, Awesome. Thank you. We went and interviewed a bunch <laughs> of people and we got the data and we chose, all right, here's, this is like a cool idea. Nice. And so uh, if trends works, the hustle becomes this thing that it's got the daily newsletter. We tell you what's going on. You got trends, which tells you about the big opportunities that are coming. I'm trying to steal SoftBank's playbook. So in the late 80s, early 90s, <laughs> Masa San, he started what was called basically the PC magazine of uh, Japan. He started a a publication started a and, conference. And that's a good example, right? PCs was the wave. And yeah, he started the magazine. Just started the magazine. The then he started the conference, which is now called CES. Mm-hmm. And then with he the, created CES. He bought it. Okay, he, he bought it with the profits from the publication. And then he was also selling software. And then he started investing in the companies that he saw that were advertising with him. So I just want to do that same thing because I think uh, like working at SoftBank would be a really cool job. Nice going after SoftBank. <laughs> well, pick the, you picked the big blue whale. <laughs> it seems like it, you like see his life. You're like, oh man, he gets to hang out with cool people. He gets to invest his money. Like, that, Let's just do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, okay. So when you think about like when somebody's listening to this podcast, uh, let's talk about the podcast for a second because this is a new product essentially that is being published on The Hustle uh, by The Hustle. Yeah, hopefully there's 100,000 people listening to this right now that came from our email list. If you're listening to this and you're one of the 100,000, just tweet at Sam so, <laughs> so that he knows uh, he knows you're listening. All right, so so why do a podcast? I guess, why, why didn't you do a podcast earlier is a better question. Because I didn't know anyone that could do it well. And you and I shoot the shit all the time. You're very successful. 
You're amazing at asking certain questions. You're also amazing at like saying these weird phrases. Like when you were just talking about your father and talking about like uh, motion versus direction. And so when you said you were going to do a podcast, I was like, oh, we, let's see if we can partner with him. And we got to do that. I also think that podcasts in general are a horrible business if that's your only stream of revenue. Right. But since we have all this other stuff, it's like, yeah, let's do that. Yeah. It's just sort of it's found money um, on top of the, the existing audience that yeah. you have today. Yeah, uh, And I think that the good thing about what you guys do is that I think you guys capture just a fraction of the value you create. So it, giving people the news every morning uh, in, a, in a super simple, digestible way, uh, and then you capture, you know, it's free for them and you capture just a tiny amount of that value on advertising. Yeah, so with trends, we're going to be cap capturing a little bit more. And this is now another component that we can actually give for free and capture a a little bit of the value right. and hopefully people will sign up for maybe three percent of people listening will sign up for our paid services gotcha okay cool um and so i want to close it out i want to do bonus segment about money money okay this is the money round uh, i'm going to ask you a bunch of questions related to money and you're going to tell us about them how much money were you making at age 21 25 and i usually say 30 but you're 29 so we'll do 29 so 21 um, 25 29 21 I had just I joined a company after we had a little exit. My salary was fifty to sixty thousand dollars a year with a bonus that was nice sized. I was able to save twenty five thousand dollars with that salary in San Francisco. You saved twenty five thousand on a fifty thousand salary, fifty sixty thousand salary plus bonus. Yeah, plus bonuses. Okay. Uh, I think my bonuses maybe came out to be like eighty grand, like total compensation. Okay, gotcha. Uh, that's good. Twenty five. Lower because I started the company when I was twenty five. The conference made. 60 grand, about 50 grand in profit. The second conference made some number of around $200,000 in profit that all stayed in the business other than a draw I did of $2,000 a month. And then 29, your company's doing really well now. What do you pay yourself? I pay myself six figures. I pay myself somewhere in between six and seven <laughs> figures, below seven figures, above six figures. I didn't pay myself six figures from the company until last year. For a long time, it was, it ramped up from like 40 to 60 to 100. And then I started giving myself meaningful bonuses based off performance. I make more income from my investments. So selling other businesses, uh, rental income, things like that. I make more money that way. And so um, last question, a lot of people have a number in mind. This is the number that they want, the number where they feel like they've hit it, they've, they've made it. As of right, and the number can move. I think when people hit their number, they make a new number. But right now, what's your number? I think that uh, an old guy who I love, Stuart Alsop. I don't know if you know him. He's a good friend, but um, he's a big time investor. He invested in he was Twitch's seed investor. Does he like being called an old guy who you love? <laughs> uh, no, but he's like seventy years old. I just like calling him that. I don't know. He's <laughs> he's he's a good guy. He told me that the first unit you make makes life different. And I go, what's a unit? And he goes, ten million. Like he goes, you get one unit, that's when life changes. So one one, one unit, unit will, will, where your liquid is a big deal. It goes probably 10 and then 100 is like you're set forever. 10 is like be cool and you're fine. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go Mike Tyson Yeah, and you're fine. Yeah, like 100 is you're set. 10 is like, like life is never going to be the same, but you could still ruin it if you like – really do something bad so that's your number right now one unit a unit getting liquid that said i don't think i'll be happier with it i know i won't be happier with that right you're not gonna be happier with 10 million dollars I don't, I don't think 
I think I would be. I think I think uh, it's not so much happier. I think happier is kind of the wrong word. The money won't make you happy. It's the fact that you did it. The fact that I did it, uh, as well as the lifestyle. So uh, I think money. I, I have this thing that money is just stored time. So so when I give you money. I'd like to unlock some of your time to go do something for me. Uh, and when you give me money, it's because uh, you're, you want some of my time. And that's sort of how money works. Money is just time frozen into a piece of paper. And when you give it to somebody else, it thaws out, you get their time. And so the thing, you know, if I had a unit, that would make sure that I'm the one unlocking other people's time. Nobody's really unlocking my time unless I'm choosing to do so. Yeah, you could just do that with a lot less money than you think. I choose to work. I could not work. I do it because I like it. As long it. as it's a choice. What I'm saying is that most people, and I put myself in this bucket right now, I don't dictate how I spend every hour of my day. It's not all my choice. Uh, there are several things that are things that I don't want to be doing with my time. So the day that I can do sort of what I want, when I want, where I want, the way I want, that will be sort of the ultimate freedom. And I so, agree with you. I don't my know if money unlocks it'll be, that. It could be lower. It's a lower number than you think. What's the number? It depends on how much you spend, but like I don't spend a lot of money. I could say fuck you to everyone and bounce and be fine. I'm a spender. That's the problem. Man, maybe when I hit a hundred grand, I'm like a hundred grand liquid. I was like, that's fuck you money. <laughs> <laughs> but I was willing to say fuck you to. Yeah, you live a fuck me lifestyle, and you can have fuck you money yeah, at hundred k. <laughs> like, yeah, that's exactly right. If you're willing to say fuck you, even at ten thousand or one thousand, a uh, hundred grand liquid made a difference. Yeah. <laughs> that's my. That's the number I'll give you. Hundred grand liquid made a difference, and I and I was willing to say, "Fuck off." Yeah, you know I I, I like this this uh, segment, the money round, because money's this weird taboo thing. I remember when you messaged me on Facebook once, and you were like, uh, "I oh, well, we you were just like, how, you were just like, how much you make?" Uh, and I was like, you know, we knew each other, but like we hadn't talked about it before. No, amongst most my close friends, I'm very open. I'll be like, "Here's how much cash I have." Right. And you asked me all these questions, and I was like, this is kind of cool, because I was like, it's, at first, I just admired the balls of, hey, you know, <laughs> you know, just to ask. But the second thing was, I was like, this is how we can kind of help each other get ahead, is information. Can we unlock some information so that you understand how people are playing this game? Because the, the pie is very, very big. And so the weird it's thing- It's not a zero-sum game. A lot of people think that, like, if I make money, that means I took it from someone. It's like, no, that's not exactly how it works. Like, if I create a piece of art, I didn't take this from anyone. I just created this valuable thing that someone's going to give me something for. Right. And even if you are taking money from somebody else, <laughs> there's so many sh- players in the game. Yeah, that- as long as you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we we're, we can all win. And so it's, it's it, whenever I ask people, it's never out of jealousy of, like, I wish I was lower than, or I wish I was bigger than. It, I do wish I have more than than what I have sometimes, but it's not of, like, I want you to be lower than me. It's like, Oh man, what could you teach me? Right, yeah, and and I've learned from you, and you've learned from me in that in that regard. So, all right, Sam, uh, where can people find you aside from subscribing to the hustle? Subscribe to the hustle, H- the hustle co. Yeah, go to trends co, trends co. Sign up. What about you personally? Where do they me find personally, you? Me personally, don't email me because <laughs> I won't reply. More likely than not, but tweet at me, and I will reply. The Sam Par. Awesome. Thanks, Sam, so much. Great episode. We're going to do a Spartan race tomorrow. So. Yeah, we're running eight and a half miles. I don't know if we're going to run, but we're walking eight and a half miles. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get a long stroll tomorrow. All right. Uh, good, good stuff, man. Great talking to you.